0: to the left corner to Aguila. Aguila in left circle. Has he been out with a shot? Saved by Aguila's rebound. Another shot. A score! The Blades win it! Yes! Yeah!
1: Starts now on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson.
2: All right, let's get it going. This hour is underway on a Thursday, April 13th, with Wes from Post Media. It's Steinberg along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, Wes. How are you, buddy? Good. So the season is officially done. 82 of 82 in the books. So now what? And we still have Locker Cleanout on Friday, which we will get to. And we'll bring you comprehensive coverage of on Flames Talk on Friday. We'll uh, get you lots and lots from there. We'll probably do some bonus stuff. uh, Get some of the the things out there so you can hear them whenever you want them. But what does the next little while hold for the Flames? Locker Cleanout on Friday or not? It is April 13th. The next what? 2 3 weeks is is that a is that a fair window as to when things get really interesting or are we talking about shorter timeline, longer timeline? Like I I honestly I'm I've really been trying to drill down on this like, you know, finish the show late on Wednesday thanks to that 820 start TNT, uh 821 <laughs> actually. Um you you finish you finish 82 games you finish the flames talk post game and we want to talk about what happened on Wednesday cuz there was some good stuff there and we will on the daily flames roundtable we'll talk about Dustin Wolf we'll talk about Matt Coronado later this hour but at the same time it's okay the 82 games are done and we want to flames fans want to forget most of those 82 games there's not a whole lot that you're like yeah yeah that was awesome let's reminisce on the season that was now what like what the heck happens next? And what do these next number of weeks or months look like? And I don't even know what this timeline looks like here going forward. I had a really interesting conversation
1: with our pal, Eric Francis last night. We'd both just finished writing our game columns and we were still in the media lounge at the saddle dome. And, and he made the comment, you know, it didn't feel, it didn't feel as heavy in here tonight as he may be expecting. He said that, it was a it was a really energetic crowd it was a crowd that was really enthusiastic to see oh. yeah to see those two young kids who who both awesome looked really point. good in their nhl debut and and what we talked about was yeah you know there's been some hope for this team there there's been a shred of hope for weeks and yet i got the sense last night that everyone had already turned the page that it was We've been talking about and we've been writing about for so long why the Flames were probably going to miss the playoffs that now that they have missed the playoffs, everyone just wants to look fully ahead. And I get that. And, and you're right. The next X number of weeks for this franchise is going to be totally fascinating because those of us who've been doing this for a while, those of us who've done the garbage bag days for a decade or 15 years, I don't know what you're at now, but... We haven't necessarily had this level of uncertainty in a long time.
2: When's the last time they went into an offseason with a general manager not under contract? I don't think it's ever happened. I can't remember when we've gone into a season. I don't remember if, if the situation with Feaster was like if he was on an expiring contract or not that year well he was fired around christmas time. he was and that was brian burke's first year on the job as president of hockey ops but i don't remember whether or not that was a final year for feaster or not um so i'm not it definitely wasn't a talking point going into that season it's not like oh what's going to happen with jay feaster at the end of the year and since that time i've only ever lots of coaches but general managers i've had Daryl Sutter, who I thought was gonna be here forever as general manager, and he stepped down in December of twenty ten, I believe yeah. it was.
1: Also around Christmas time. I was covering a Max tournament game when that happened.
2: Okay. So then it was Feaster interim, full time, then it was Burke interim. And since May of twenty fourteen, it's been Brad Trelliving. Those are those are the so I've I've really only covered three full time general managers. Daryl Jay and now Brad. So I've never we've never had a situation in recent memory the last decade decade and a half where a guy's gone into an off season and we have no idea whether or not he's going to be back. It's not even the only time that we've had anything really like this was Brent Sutter as head coach. He he finished his 3 years and it was, I think, 11 years ago yesterday, 11 years ago Wednesday, right. where he and the team decided to part ways, and, and Brent's time with the team finished. But that's the last time I can remember a GM or a head coach going into an off season without a contract. We've had firings, and we've had guys step down, all that type of stuff. But this situation, we've never really seen it.
1: Well, and doesn't it set up so fascinating for tomorrow, and so... What happens tomorrow morning is, is the Flames report to the rink, they have their exit medicals, <clears throat> they have their meetings with the head coach and with the general manager, they say their goodbyes, they talk to us in the media, and you know, off they go split for the offseason. And we'll hear at the tail end of tomorrow from Flames General Manager Brad Trilliving. And and I'm curious what answers he can give us. You know, one of the big questions surrounding this Flames team is, well, What what's the future of the head coach? There's all sorts of speculation out there, and and I'm in the group that would be surprised if someone other than Daryl Sutter was head coach of the Flames next fall, but there's plenty of questions out there. I know there's plenty of people listening, there's plenty of people on Twitter who think that coaching was the biggest problem for the Calgary Flames yeah. this year would like to see a change, and so it's a fair question, certainly tomorrow for Brad Living. Well, what What's your plan on the coaching front? How does he answer that? Because he doesn't know, or at least we don't know whether he knows, if that's his decision to make. What's your plan with your unrestricted free agents? And we're not talking about big names necessarily. You've got Troy Stetcher and Trevor Lewis and Milan Lucic and a few others. But what's your plan with your UFAs? Who's is, making that is call? Is he going to be there to make that decision on July 1st? What, you know, if you're looking ahead to the draft, who, who's the guy who walks up to the microphone and says with the first pick or with their first round pick, the Calgary Flames are proud to select? Is that Brad Trelevin? We we don't know and so tomorrow is going to be really fascinating because there's so many questions and there's always in this business, and I don't mean our business, I mean in the hockey business, they feel the urgency. They, they want answers as badly as we do. But when do we get them? And at what point does no news become news? I, I don't know that either. I really don't know what to expect in this next few weeks.
2: So let's, let's start on the uh, Daryl Sutter front. Sorry, on the, the Brad Tri Living front, rather. You'd think they'd want some sort of clarity here soon. I know that his contract runs until June thirtieth, but if you're the organization, because there's two, there's two kind of sides of this one. There's 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 two parties involved in this one. This is not a Calgary Flames solely decision, and I'm, I don't know if it's a Brad Living sole decision either. It's can they come up with a contract that's long enough or or that works right for the GM and for Brad and are the flames willing to meet his needs is he willing to accept what they're willing to offer him so on and so forth but you'd think they want that figured out asap like hey Brad if so this would be me if I'm the organization whether it's Murray Edwards or John Bean or whomever hey Brad this is our offer this is what we're willing to do and could there be a little wiggle room Maybe, but is this something that you're okay with? And if the answer to the question is no, then you have to say we're walking away because they got to figure out their stuff and they got to figure out what they're doing. And and for for Brad, I think he's well within his rights to be like, okay, I'm going to walk away and I've decided that this is not for me. Or at the same time, I think he's okay to push back a little bit and try to get a little, like I, I get the negotiation, But I think there needs to be a cutoff here. There needs to be a we need an answer by this time because you need to you need to start getting a search ready. Your new GM in place and you need to be ready to go into the offseason and the draft and and free agency, all that type of stuff. I don't think you can wait around all that long.
1: Well, and the hardest part for us in analyzing these negotiations or or whatever's happening behind the scenes is we've all heard the same. Scuttlebutt, you know, we've all, it's been sort of a a well, I I would say it's been fairly well known around the Saddledome that, or at least it's believed that Brad Trilliving turned down a contract extension at at some point, and yet nobody knows why. We don't know if it was because the term, maybe he wants to be back, but the term wasn't long enough. Maybe he wants to be back, but the dollar figure wasn't big enough. Maybe he's not sure he wants to be back. Maybe he doesn't necessarily like the asterisks that might come with re-signing with the Calgary Flames. And so to sit here and try and analyze what his future might look like is so hard without knowing all that goes into it behind the scenes. And in saying that, you're absolutely right. This is not a decision that you can wait very long on. You're... You know, his contract might go to the end of June, but right at the end of June is the NHL draft, which is yeah. which is obviously a monumental few days for a franchise when it comes to trades, whether that's moving money, moving players, bringing players in. Obviously, there's the actual draft portion of it. There's so much that goes on, and it's not just Brad Treleving. As far as we understand it, his entire staff has expiring contracts. Right now, and so it's not just one guy that might not be a part of it. If you're if you're gonna remake your front office, whatever that might look like, you gotta do it soon, and you have to do it. You you need to know who's available. You have to be able to talk to perhaps some of the guys who might be available. But first, you have to decide if Brad Trelevin's your guy, and he has to decide if this team that he has invested so much in over the past nine years, and we see the way he wears every single game. If he's ready to walk away from that.
2: Yep. I don't know. And I, I, and he's keeping his card so close to the vest and has this entire time. Nobody really knows what Brad's thinking. Like the, the top insiders don't know what Brad's thinking. And that's good negotiating on his part. That's like, I, I get what he's doing. And yet, if you're the org, you need an answer, and if you're Brad, you gotta you've gotta. I, I am more fascinated about where Brad True Living finds himself and how he decides to to handle this because let's let's just for instance say that he has a contract offer on the table. It's x amount of years, whatever. But he's like, no, I I am more interested in seeing what's out there. Okay, that's a that's a pretty gutsy play because. You don't know what jobs are going to open up. You don't know if you're going to get those jobs. Is he okay with taking that risk? And and knowing Brad, it would not surprise me if the answer to that question is yes, but it is still a, there's a risk involved there. If they say, hey, June, uh, sorry, April, April 25th, that is our cutoff. We need an answer on this contract by then. We need to either have something signed or we're going to have to walk away is he willing to go down that road? Because Toronto's job may not be open by April 25th. Their Pittsburgh's job may not be open by April 25th. Because There's been a lot of scuttlebutt about is Pittsburgh going to make a change after they miss the playoffs? Um, or or other jobs may not be clear and available by then. Is he willing to enter that limbo land? And, and if he is, then he's got a lot of leverage. And if he's not, well, then maybe he signs. I just, if you're... The flames I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. You need an answer soon because you can't let this you can't wait until every g m job in the n h l is figured out to get your answer from Brad, and that's why they may have to make a decision on their own. It's kind of no different than what we're talking about with like what the flames are going to do with elias lindholm if you're if if, if Elias doesn't give you the indication this summer that he's willing to re-sign, then you might have to be preemptive and make a trade anyway. So if you're the Flames, you might have to be preemptive, preemptive. Even if you haven't heard definitively, you might have to say, we need an answer. We haven't got an answer. We're moving on.
1: Well, and on the flip side, if you're Brad, and maybe the organization has made it clear to him, but he needs to know how serious they are about bringing him back if if he's absolutely the guy and they've decided, you know, we're, we're going to move mountains to keep Brad to living, then what's the holdup? And maybe it is that Brad's not sure whether the greenest grass is in Calgary at this point. You know that, and, and I, listen, he's been doing the same job for nine years. If he wants to try a new organization, I, I don't think anyone would fault him for that. And yet, How badly have the Flames expressed to him that they want him back? How how offended is he potentially that they extended the coach before they extended the man who hired the coach? Mm -hmm. And what's that dynamic look like? And so it's such, you'd love to be a fly on the wall for these discussions. and, And the rest of us, I think, are just guessing. And that's what makes the next few weeks for me, so fascinating because we're all trying to figure out. And like you said, the insiders, the best of the best in the insider business, they don't know what's happening.
2: How many times has Frank come on on a Tuesday on Flames Talk and said, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what Brad's thinking at this point. Or what Murray Edwards is thinking. Well, and that's the next part. It's Pat and Wes on Flames Talk this hour. Uh, let me read you a few texts at 960-960 for those that are listening live. Is there a chance that Tre Living's waiting on the status of Sutter? I'm not sure they saw eye-to-eye this year. Yes, I think there is a chance that that is. I don't know for sure, but I can't sit here and say there's no chance that that's what's going on. Absolutely, I think there's a chance of that being the case. Uh, This says, guys, I'm of the belief that Brad Tree Living won't be the Flames GM moving forward. It's been close to a decade with limited postseason success. The team's at a true crossroads. Many UFAs coming up. A majority of his staff also unsigned. Sutter, I feel, could be back, but on a very short leash. That doesn't last beyond Christmas. If the team gets off to a bad start, that's from Sam. This says the way Johnny left and upset Brad in the flames. I can't see Brad doing that to the organization. Uh, Corey writes any chance Brad becomes president of hockey ops. Conroy becomes GM and hopefully Huska is the brand new head coach. Is there a chance? I guess I don't. That's a very specific path. I don't know. Like I don't, I'm not going to say no to very much in terms of what could happen. Cause there's a lot of permutations, as to what happens, this says Tree did not pick Sutter and he's not allowed to make decisions he thinks are best based on owner's decree he's walking and rightly so it's obvious um this says can I
1: yeah can I push back on that one for a second because i I've heard this numerous times that that Daryl Sutter was basically a decision that was just sort of foisted upon the general manager that he didn't have any say perhaps in who was going to be hired as head coach. And and I would only say in everything that I've heard over the past two years since Daryl Sutter returned for his second stint to the Saddle Dome, I don't think that was the case.
2: I believe that was Brad True Living's decision as well. From everything that I believe that Brad made that call to hire Daryl Sutter.
1: Yeah, because Brad had talked to him about the head coaching job when it was open previously. And so I just think to... And and this rumor has been floating around forever, and I understand where it comes from. We all know Murray Edwards is very fond of Daryl Sutter and the the job he's done in various capacities for the Flames organization over the years. But I don't believe that this was a case of Brad Chelvin having nothing to do with the return of Daryl Sutter.
2: Um, and I I I agree. This says, I'm guessing Tree's not able to work with Sutter, so the conversation with owners will be like him or me, and owners are not going to fire Sutter, so Tree will walk and be at the draft table for Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, This reads, there's no way that Brad and Sutter should be gone. They still finished 11 games above 500. I know they didn't make the playoffs, but there's really easy reasons to see this. The too high expectations and acquisitions did nothing, and the goaltending didn't help. Uh, This says... I've been seeing this since the beginning of the new year. Daryl Sutter and Murray Edwards are buddies, and Tri Living's gone. Sutter will be the new GM, and then they'll probably name Kirk Muller as head coach or bring in another old-style coach. Flames are going nowhere fast. Again, I don't, uh, I, I don't think that Daryl has eyes on being the general manager of this team. I really, really don't. No. Everything that I'm led to believe is that's not something that he's super keen on, being GM of this team, because – I, the, I think coaching is where Daryl knows he's best at, and you don't do two jobs in this day and age anymore.
1: I believe that on, and, and I could be wrong, I've been wrong a gazillion times before, but I believe on October 12th or 14th or 11th or whatever night the Flames open the 23-24 season, I believe Daryl is going to be standing behind the bench.
2: Okay. Well, and that's the fascinating part, because you talk to, depending on who you talk to or you, who you listen to, it's, yeah, I think that Daryl, they'll find a way for Daryl to be gone, or Daryl will, de- will definitely be back. He's owed X amount of money, and his contract extension hasn't kicked in. And here's what I can tell you about the Daryl situation and the Daryl Sutter decision that is looming. Nobody really knows because of who that decision lays with. And that decision lays with the majority owner of the Calgary Flames, Murray Edwards, and nobody knows what Murray Edwards is thinking. Honestly, the, that, guy, that guy doesn't leak. That guy doesn't talk to insiders. That guy doesn't talk to you or I. Um, I believe in you, and I've talked about this before like kind of off the air off mic but I believe this decision lies way above anybody that we talk to I really do I I believe this lies with Murray Edwards and whether or not he believes there needs to be a change in that regard
1: the only way that that changes because you're absolutely right as we sit here on April 13th that's the case could it change with Murray Edwards either re-upping his current general manager or hiring a new general manager and giving that person the power to make the coaching decision that they see as best for the Flames. But right now, with a general manager on an expiring contract, and listen, if you're going to fire a coach in the NHL, it always runs through the owner anyways. This is not a decision that doesn't get run to the top of the flagpole. But as of today, absolutely, this is in Mary Edwards' hands. And as you summed up so well, we don't know what he's thinking. Nobody knows what he's thinking.
2: And we really don't ever know. He rarely does interviews.
1: And and look. I haven't even seen him at the Dome too often this season. I've
2: seen him once at the Dome this year.
1: Not saying we don't swim in the same pools. I'm in the media lounge. He's in the owner's box. Not saying that he couldn't have been at, at far more games than that, but I've seen him
2: once as well. And that's not, luck. he's, he is the owner of this team. And like like how he runs the team or don't like how he runs the team, they're here because he owns the team. And, and it's it's like, I know that there is frustration that, you need to rebuild or you need to bottom out to get an elite superstar generational player, blah, blah, blah. There's all of this talk and there has been frustration for the last decade plus that the Flames have never truly been willing to commit to that road. And there is plenty of criticism out there that suggests that, you know, this guy's running a sports team too much like a business and isn't in the business of winning and all of that type of stuff. And some of it, I think, is absolutely fair. I really do. But in the end, he still owns the team. And he does, he owns the team and runs the team how he wants, whether you like it, whether I like it, whether you listening like it. And so he is one of the, he's not He's not Jerry Jones. He's not Mark Cuban. He's not an owner that is very often publicly accessible. I think over the last... 15 years that I've been covering the team. I remember Rob Kerr interviewing him once and he's, uh, he holds a lot of power in the Gary Bettman inner circle, Yeah, but he doesn't, is not very often publicly accessible. And I'm not saying this as a criticism. I'm not saying this as a, that's the way you should do it. I'm just saying these are the facts. And because of that, honestly, with a decision as far reaching as a guy who has been so entrenched in Calgary Flames lore since the early two thousands, like Daryl Sutter, I do not you say that you're confident that he he's back next year as head coach. And I love that you're able to be that confident because I honestly don't have a friggin' clue.
1: Well, and I think the business part is a big part of it because we're talking about a Flames team that spent to the salary cap as they have, you know, done for the for as long as recent memory goes. Yes. We're, Pretty much
2: since the salary caps existed, yeah, they've spent to the they cap.
1: Spent the cap. They, we're talking about a team that <clears throat> did not sell out as many games as we're accustomed to seeing them sell out. We're talking about a team that is not going to have any playoff yep. revenue this season, and we're talking about a team that already signed a piece of paper that their head coach is owed in the ballpark of $8 million from what we understand over the next two seasons. And it's easy for everyone on Twitter or for us sitting here to spend $8 million or whatever it is of Murray's money and say it's time to change the coach. But you can't lose sight of the business part of it either. That's $8 million of real money. That's $8 million you could put towards an arena project that is not getting cheaper. That's $8 million that you could do whatever with. Yeah. Pay Jonathan Huberto three quarters of his salary next season. And so the business part has to be a factor in the decision. And the business part, quite frankly, is what makes me believe that Daryl's going to be back.
2: Just because <sighs> of those raw numbers.
1: If he hadn't been extended and the season went the way it did and you know it looks like he didn't push the right buttons. He he didn't have the same touch with this group. And, and maybe it's time to get some more youth involved. And, and maybe Daryl's not the right guy for that. You, you could go on and on and on. If he wasn't extended, I think it might make sense to make a change, but locked up for two more seasons.
2: I just don't see it happening based on now. I mean, maybe they can work. So if, if that is something that they decide to do, Maybe something can be worked out where it isn't all of that money that ends up getting paid. I don't know. But I guess long story short, as we wrap up the the last 25 minutes, with both of these human beings who hold the two most important hockey operations jobs in the organization, your general manager, Brad Tree Living, and your head coach, Daryl Sutter, we honestly don't know what the decision makers are thinking. Because on the one hand, Brad Tre Living is one of the decision makers, and he holds a massive amount of sway in his own fate, and he's held his cards very deliberately close to his vest, maybe taped to his chest. We don't know what Tree's thinking, and we don't know what Murray Edwards is thinking when it comes to the next head coach, or if the head coach that is currently here remains and that's why this off season is so damn intriguing. And really, nobody knows how it's going to play out. I sure as hell don't. And and the people who know more than me sure don't know how this... You talk to to people in the orc; They don't know how the hell this thing's going to go. And thus, here we are in this weird limbo land that I don't think we're going to get any clarity on in the next 24 or 48 hours, that's for sure.
1: You know about the only thing that I think we know for certain, and it's part of why I, and I'm sure you... Would agree with me, have so much respect for for both Brad and, and Daryl. Is here's the part I can guarantee you. I know both of them would have been at the saddle dome this morning already working on what could be different. When I walked out of the locker room last night at 11.40 at night, I walked past Daryl and he wanted to have a quick chat about the Wranglers, called her cup run. Like that, this is how both these guys. Are wired. Yep. We heard it. It's from, the
2: next thing.
1: Yeah, we heard it from Brad on trade deadline day. He was asked, "Well, how how did your job security or or lack thereof impact today?" And and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. But he said something along the lines of, "I'm not thinking about my job. I'm doing my job, and I can promise you both were at the Saddle Dome this morning doing exactly that. But the future of both, and it's certainly tied together, although it's not." Necessarily going to be the same outcome for both. The future of both is the first thing that this franchise yep. needs to address before you can start to figure out what pieces might follow.
2: Patton West with you. Flames talk underway this hour from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studios. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement y. Visit DLBasementSystemsCalgary.com talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Alright, time for our Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Pre-select your summer tire package now and they'll store your winter tires all summer long. This program's available until they run out of space. Visit Mercedes Benz mercedesbenzcountryhills.ca It's Pat and Wes, along with you, soon to be joined by the Voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, as well. And we haven't talked about Wednesday's win over the San Jose Sharks, and we're not going to break down the um, X's and O's of the win period over by the period. San Jose Sharks. No, I don't think we're going to look too much into the power plays or the uh, offensive zone entries or anything like that. Um, but I'll ask this, and, and Wes, you go first. What uh, What did you think? How, how Matt Coronado, Dustin Wolf both make their NHL debuts. Actually, we got Derek with us now. Um Mr. Wills, you start us off. Matt Coronado makes his NHL debut on Wednesday night. What, uh, what do we think?
0: Well, I'm going to preface my answer on both Matt Coronado and Dustin Wolf by saying that I find it very difficult to evaluate a player or players in a meaningless game like last night's. But it's all we have to work with as far as those two guys playing in the NHL goes. So, Uh, As far as Matt Coronado, I was really pleasantly surprised by how easy he made the transition from going from the Harvard Crimson to the Calgary Flames look. And again, it was a a meaningless game, game 82 of the season, uh, with the Flames having been eliminated in game 81, but... I actually thought that he was one of the better Flames players last night, and maybe it's because, unlike the other guys who have been fighting tooth and nail for a playoff spot for days, weeks, and months, uh, and didn't have that adrenaline pumping through their veins anymore, he did, with his parents in the building and with it being his NHL debut, and after practicing for a couple of weeks, uh, I'm guessing he probably wanted to play pretty badly so there was no doubt that he was juiced up for last night's game and i thought he was dangerous all night four shots six attempts i would say three or score four pretty good scoring chances and i know he didn't put the puck in the net or pick up a point last night but he certainly had plenty of opportunities to. so all in all guys uh, i thought it was a really impressive nhl debut for Matt Coronado, and a good game for him to build on. I still think it's more unlikely than likely that he starts next season with the Flames. I think it's probably more likely than unlikely that he starts next season with the Wranglers, but who knows? Uh, it'll certainly give him a, a boost of confidence going into the offseason.
1: What I really liked, gents, and how many times have we talked on this round table or you know, in passing at the Saddledome about the tendency that young players or rookies or call-ups have to defer, that, you know, they're always looking to pass. They don't want to step step on anyone's toes. I loved that about five seconds into his first NHL game last night, Matt Coronado got the puck, managed, as he told us post-game, to not fall down in the neutral zone, and went in and ripped a shot just over the net. It glances off a defenseman's stick, I think, and and winds up high, but that was probably the thing, and, and it was right at the start, but that was the thing that struck me the most last night about Matt Coronado, is here's a guy who was anxious to fire pucks on net. You saw why he has been such a prolific scorer at other levels. You didn't see the finish, but you saw the nose for it and you saw the willingness when the puck is on your tape to fire it that was the thing that struck me and Derek I'll just echo what you said because it's such a great point that was not a good setting to gauge a player there was not a lot of competitiveness in that game there were a lot of guys that was an
2: April preseason yeah there (laughs) were a lot of guys who were
1: anxious to get home or, or whatever stop they might be making on the way and yet, good, yeah. on, good on the kid. He waited for the opportunity the last couple of weeks. He did not look out of place in his first NHL game. And I think he'll take some confidence into the summer. I'm not sure how far behind he is on his homework at Harvard. He might have other things to worry about for a few days. But he should take some confidence because he looked like a guy who can eventually produce at this level.
2: I liked his answer, guys, when intrepid reporter Wes Gilbertson asked him post-game on Wednesday night, do you feel like you can play in the NHL? He said, I can't tell you that. I'm not ready to say one way or the other from one game. I thought that was the perfect answer because like, he has been, for a guy who's a first-round pick, who could coming from Harvard where he's a point-per-game guy, Like, there could be a lot of swagger from Matt Coronado coming in. I don't sense that at all. I sense a lot of willingness to learn. I sense a lot of soaking it in. And I sense a lot of, I need to get the most out of this experience. And I give him a lot of credit. Because not every person in his situation has approached it like that. And I'm not trying to throw shade at any other college free agent or guy who comes out of college. I'm just saying that you don't always have to go about it like that. And he has. And I think what he will take from Wednesday... Is that in a game that he's well aware didn't mean a whole lot? He was able to generate some chances. He was close to scoring. He didn't look out of place. And now he can take that into the offseason and know, damn, that league is fast. Those guys are smart. They know exactly where they're supposed to be at all times. It's not scrambly. And you can now take the knowledge that you gain from your first three periods of NHL action and take it into your off season regime and take it into next year's training camp. Cause as I guys, I think he will be the number one story of next year's training camp, whether or not he's able to make the team. Cause I think we've all pinned Jacob Pelche in. I think we all know the Dustin Wolf situation is a little bit more complicated and we'll get to uh, the Wolf man in a second, but Matt Coronado and his ability to make the team out of training camp will be, I think, the number one story throughout training camp because, and Derek, you mentioned this a little bit on Wednesday, you know what Matthew Kachuk did in his rookie season, he didn't get an NHL game in first, but what he did in his rookie season where he just wouldn't deny them uh, the, and, and he wouldn't be denied rather, and he wouldn't let them send him back to the Ontario League. Well, that was huge. And he came in and he gave them something they didn't have. If Coronado proves that in training camp, he'll give them something that they were missing this past year, a shot, an ability to finish, a guy who can impact you offensively, even if he is sheltered and maybe used more as an offensive specialist next year. If he proves he can hang in training camp and can spend the whole year next year in the NHL, that is a win. Not to say that if he doesn't, it's a loss, But it's just I think it's going to be the biggest talking point in September as we figure out what the team is going to look like because I I think he could start in the American League, and I don't think that's a bad thing. But what if he doesn't? That would be an awesome story. And at the very least, I think he's got a little bit more of a fire lit under him out of his first NHL game going into his first NHL offseason and his first NHL training camp.
0: Yeah, and the one big difference between comparing Kachuk to Coronado, which I did on our post-game show Wednesday night, just because I think even the Flames had Matthew Kachuk penciled in to go back to the London Knights. I don't think it was in their plans for him to go right from being the sixth overall pick in the 2016 NHL draft to to being on the roster in the fall of 2016. But uh, to your point, Pat, he was so good during training camp and the preseason He didn't really give them a choice. And the difference is they only had two choices. Keep them with the Flames or send them back to the Knights. What they couldn't do then was send them to the AHL. So that's one difference between Matthew Kachuk and Matt Coronado is that next season, they've got a choice. You can keep them in the NHL or you can send them down to the AHL which is why I think it's probably more likely that he starts the season with the Wranglers than with the Flames, especially if Gerald uh, Sutter is behind the bench, because, as we know, young players have to prove it. But th- there's one thing that I think the Flames have been looking for more so than anything else in the nine seasons that I've been calling their games. A top six right shot right winger who can score with relative ease. And it's been hard for them to find that guy. Sure, Michael Froelich was kind of that guy, but he was more of a middle six guy than a top six guy and uh, wasn't a guy who was probably going to get you 30. uh, 20, sure, but not 30, but more of a a 200-foot player where the Flames brought in Troy Brower and James Neal and then finally found their guy when they traded for Tyler Toffoli, who's... Who's the best player this season? Top six, right shot, right winger who can score. And he scored more goals and produced more points than anybody else on the team. But uh, he's also uh, a pending UFA. So you might have to replace him at some point in time. And maybe Matt Coronado is the guy who will do it. What's a real shame, fellas? And, And again, this is coming from a guy who spent 13 years in the AHL calling games in that league. I wish the Flames could send him down to the Calgary Wranglers to get him some more pro experience to allow him to go on a potentially a long Calder cup playoff run. And I've heard from so many players and coaches and managers over the years that the closest you're going to get to playing an NHL game is playing in AHL playoff games. So that would have been a great experience. That's not on the table, unfortunately, but Hey, he got his first pro game under his belt. He looked good. It's too bad. He didn't score a goal or at least pick up a point, but uh, Hey, at least he came close a bunch of times.
1: I'm uh... I'm going to maybe be telling tales out of school a little bit here, but I was thinking about this when we were talking and when, you know, when Pat raised the point about potentially Matt Coronado being the biggest story of training camp next year. And I can certainly see that being the case. I remember hearing second or third hand when the flames signed Walker Dewar two years ago, and he comes out of college, obviously not as a highly touted guy, but he comes out of college. He joins the Stockton heat who were, Set up at the Saddledome that season during pandemic precautions. And what I've heard through the grapevine since is that Daryl Sutter watched a couple of Stockton Heat games at the end of that season and didn't leave the rink especially fond or especially impressed is a better word for it with this young guy that they just signed out of Minnesota State. And fast forward to training camp the next year and Walker Doer almost makes the team came into training camp and was one of those guys who stuck around to the very end. And I say that as a way of setting this up. Matt Coronado, with the first impression he made last night on the Flames coach, and we all heard Daryl Sutter's post-game comments, has already given himself a step up going into training camp next season. Now, he, he has to do the most important part, which is show up and really impress in the fall. But that's a heck of a start for a 20-year-old who was playing junior A hockey a couple of years ago. For sure.
2: Um, Daily Flames Roundtable. Wes, Derek, Pat on this Thursday edition of Flames Talk. All right. What did we think of Dustin Wolf's NHL debut on Wednesday?
0: That's you know, oh. interesting. Oh. You know, I... <laughs> Sorry. You guys are in uh, unison there. You could form a boy band. I don't know what you'd call it, but you could. Um, you know, I
2: said Flames that... Talk's back. I thought baby. one
0: of the advantage... Oh boy! You know how I said that I thought one of the advantages that Matt Coronado had on pretty much every other player on the ice last night was the fact that uh, he probably had way more adrenaline pumping through his veins than anybody else who was playing just a meaningless game at the end of the season. Well, I think that is an advantage for a forward or for a defenseman, but I'm not convinced that that's an advantage for a goaltender, because I think you want to be calm, cool, and collected if you're playing that position, and... That's exactly how Dustin Wolf looked to me, especially once he settled in. looked a little bit nervous at first, which uh, was to be expected. Uh, his parents were in the building for his NHL debut, and he had worked so hard to prove so many people wrong at every level of hockey to, to finally get to the best league in the world and to be playing in front of uh, fans against your hometownish team that you grew up cheering for he must have had a lot uh, bouncing around between his ears last night Dustin Wolf but you know I thought he settled into the game really well and only gave up one goal and when I think about that goal would you like a little bit better rebound control sure would you like uh, to close the five hole sure but that's nitpicking you know ultimately I think it was probably more on the five guys in front of him than it was on him. So, really impressed by Dustin Wolf. And here's the other thing that I would say the knock on Dustin Wolf, and maybe the only knock on Dustin Wolf throughout his career, is that he's too small. Guys, he didn't look too small last night. Not to me, anyway. You know, he's just under six feet. I've seen 5'10, I've seen 5'11, I've seen six feet even. Not sure exactly what his measurements are. Uh, he is an undersized goaltender. There's no doubt about that, both as far as heights concerned and weights concerned and the guy he is most often compared to is UC Saros who's around the same height but 15 to 20 pounds heavier but I was almost expecting him to look small especially because I'm used to watching Jacob Markstrom who's 6'6 and Dan Vladar, who's 6'5 but he didn't look small last night now again you take what you see in Game 82, uh, a meaningless game with a great assault, but I thought he performed really well and made some big saves at key times in that game. I, key times. <laughs> Again, I'm having a hard time evaluating players after uh, the Flames uh, were fighting for their lives for months, trying to keep their playoff hopes alive, and, and then last night's game just looked a lot different. Uh, as you said, Pat, it uh, looked more like a preseason game than a regular season game or a postseason game, but... It's all we have to work with, and I thought Dustin Wolf, much like Matt Coronado, was really impressive last night. And, you know, if Nikita Zadorov didn't steal the show with his first career multi-goal game, uh, a natural hat-trick, also his first career three-point game, then maybe one of those two guys would have been the first star. Instead, they had to settle for second and third star, which was fun for them and fun for all of us. Uh, I know Flames fans enjoyed watching those two guys perform, so uh, much like Coronado, I think a really strong debut for Wolf last night.
1: I'll uh, I'll keep
0: mine pretty brief because I
1: can't hardly wait to find out how Pat fared in Best Bets last night. But <laughs> your point, Derek, about the way the the sort of calm and composure that we saw out of Dustin Wolf last night that was my biggest takeaway too. And I had a I had a conversation with his mom Michelle yesterday for a, a feature that I had a blast writing and and it's still up at the Post Media websites. And I asked her, can you? Can you tell, you know, knowing this is his first NHL start, does he seem nervous? Can you tell he's excited? And Michelle said to me, Wes, the kid doesn't have a pulse. And that's what we saw last night. We saw what we've heard and what we've witnessed with the Wranglers. This guy is borderline unflappable if you talk to those who know him best. And, I'm not going to say after one NHL game that that's what I'm calling him at the NHL level, but he looked pretty damn calm to me in a situation that he really shouldn't have been. So good on him. A really nice debut.
0: uh... Can I just jump in quickly to to piggyback on something that Wes said? Cause I I love it. Yeah. We got to be really brief. So, okay. He talked about Dustin Wolf, not having a pulse. The last goaltender that I heard that about was Carey price. I have a Calder Cup ring, thanks in large part to Carey Price, because as a 19-year-old, he went from the Tri-City Americans to the Hamilton Bulldogs and wound up winning Calder Cup playoff MVP. And... This could be a long story, but I'll keep it short. So, before game one of the Calder Cup final in Hershey versus the defending champion Bears, who were heavy favorites going into that series, there was a big electrical storm. It rained cats and dogs. The referees were about an hour late getting to the game. And, you know, the guys were nervous. It's it's game one of the Calder Cup final. But not 19 year old rookie Carey Price, who was sleeping on the dressing room floor. You know why? Because he didn't have a pulse either. He had a pretty good career. Maybe Dustin Wolf will as well.
2: <laughs> Only thing I'll say, guys, is I just wanted to see how Dustin Wolf's anticipation and reading of the game translated to the NHL. In one game, it translated damn well. The way that he anticipated, the way that he was positioned on there. I know the goal, there was a rebound, but that was a broken play. When play like yeah. The way that he read it. I was very impressed, even with the best shooters in the world, his positioning was still spot on. I know it was San Jose, but it was still spot on. Wilson, we got to wrap. Appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk to you on Friday. Okay, sounds good. Talk then. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that is your Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Pre-select your summer tire package now, and they'll store your winter tires all summer long. This program's available until they run out of space. Visit mercedes